I didn't write down notes for this, but I have a plot summary from Wiki in front of me. That I didn't feel like was... I needed to make notes on this one. Like I sort of knew it. That was my opinion. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how well that goes for both of us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, A Rose and a Thorn. Uh, my name's Chris, and I'm here with my sister. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm Maddie. And we're here today to talk to you about one of our favorite movies of all time, Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her, 1993 movie starring Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, and Bruce Willis. Fabulous. How much do you love this movie? I love this movie so much. I, <laughs> I almost know it word for word. Even rewatching it, I was like, yeah, I don't really have to rewatch this. I know it. A couple of months ago, I was at a friend's house and she had never seen this. So we got it on a streaming service and I knew it off by heart. I think I ruined all the jokes for her by saying them a split second before they did. Laughing at them before they've even happened. Singing along, even though it's not a musical, but there's a fair amount of music in it. I'm ready for it. It's fun. This is another one that the critics slammed this movie. What do they know? Nothing. Nothing. They're just not there for fun. Early 90s movie critics, they just hated everything. Bunch of sad sacks. <laughs> I really like the musical score of this movie. It's very dramatic with their violin strings the whole way through. Like, it seems too dramatic for what it's really about. Yes. I have nothing else to add, but you're right. In <laughs> every sense. <laughs> Even the beginning violins. Brilliant. Okay. So we're going to jump straight in. So it starts mm. off in 1978, and it jumps into the play by Madeline Ashton performing Songbird, which is a musical Songbird. of um, A Sweet Bird of Youth. Now, I haven't seen Sweet Bird of Youth, but I have looked up the summary of it. Have you done that? No, I, I'm going into this blind. I have no idea what that is. Okay. I'm not going to be as knowledgeable on it as I am obviously on Death Becomes Her, but from what I've done a quick read on, it is a gigolo has a bad time in New York and LA, goes back home to meet up with his old sweetheart, drags along some washed up actress, it all goes pear shaped. He gets people sick from all his sleeping around. The oh my actress, <laughs> the actress bails back into town because she realizes that she's not as washed up as she thought she was, and he stays to uh, live out his punishment from his new father-in-law, who hates him because he's an ex-gigolo. Okay, okay, sure. <laughs> I sort of understand why they would use that reference now in the movie because they're yeah. sort of showing that Madeline is washed up. Yes. So that's what that is. So she's doing a musical rendition of this Tennessee Williams play, and it is bombing hardcore. People are storming out of the theatre. Everyone's falling asleep. They're just not having a good time. And it scans back to Goldie Horn, who is playing Helen Sharp, and her fiancé, Ernest Menville Bruce Willis. And Helen is just like, what is this garbage I'm watching? And Ernest is enthralled. He is loving it. He is living for the dance numbers. He is all about it. She's sensational. She is sensational. That song that she does, I see me, only me. I love that. You can trust me. It's so much fun. The quick change of her long dress, she rips off the bottom of it and there's a little short can-can piece. Good fun. Who would walk out during that? Nobody would walk out. Everybody would stay. Meryl Streep. Tap dancing? Love it. I mean, come on. Where are you guys going? You are leaving the fun. 
At the end of the play, they switch into Madeline Ashton's dressing room. There's flowers everywhere and she's dolling herself up, looking in the mirror, going, twinkle, twinkle, little star, wrinkled star, twinkle, twinkle, (laughs) wrinkled star, hope they never see the scars. Is it? Wrinkled, wrinkled little star. I hope they never see the scars. Referring to her many, many plastic surgeries. Yes. Her assistant, Rose, another much maligned assistant. And she says that Helen Sharp is here to see you. How does she look? Oh, I don't know. Smart, I guess. Sort of classy. And in comes Ernest and Helen after she preps her. (gasps) Hell! They come in and they have the little moment and Ernest is just so in love with Madeline. Yeah, he's enthralled by her. Fair. Madeline says to Ernest, do you think that I'm starting to need you? Which Helen is not happy about. That was the nail in their relationship coffin. So then in the next scene, uh, Helen is sitting on the couch and she's wringing this napkin, I'm going to say, in her hand, just wringing them. And she's talking about Madeline, how she's always steals all of her boyfriends. Ernest is like, you're being silly. Are we just going out for a dinner, a work dinner to talk about her surgeries? Nothing's ever going to happen. His exact line is, there is absolutely nothing going on between me and Madeline Ashton. The next scene is boom. him and Madeline Ashton getting married. Boom. Ah, ah, and Helen's standing in the shadows on this stairway, <laughs> wringing the cloth again. And then it's just this trickle of blood from her hand. <laughs> Poor Helen. Felt sorry oh. for her in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> it switches to her. Seven years later, girl has gotten tick. She has packed it on. In this tiny cramped apartment, cats everywhere, TVs blaring, and she gets out of the cupboard a tub of, I think, frosting. And there's like, it's frosting. My whole life I thought it was dip or yogurt. Who keeps that in the cupboard? They're American. It'll be frosting. And there's like just a cat in the cupboard and mewing. And she's having obviously a mental breakdown. And there's banging on the door. It's a landlord. She hasn't paid the rent and the police are there. But as They're trying to get into the apartment. She's watching the movie with Madeline Ashton in it. And Helen is just rewinding and watching with fixation this murder while she's being dragged out to a psychiatric hospital. She just looks psychotic in that moment, doesn't she? Like she can't leave the apartment until she's seen her nemesis get murdered. (laughs) Same. What I do every time before (laughs) a Saturday night. Helen has been committed to a mental institution now and she's getting group therapy. And the therapist says to her, is there anything that you would like to talk about while Helen's still wringing this cloth? Yes, I would like to talk about Madeline Ashton. Ah! (laughs) Screaming and losing it. We're sick of talking about Madeline Ashton. That's the moment that Helen has the inspiration to kill Madeline. Do you think that's where she got the inspiration? I guess so, because the nurse does say to her, you have to erase her from your memory. You have to completely eliminate What did you say? And she just focuses on that word, eliminate, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but we don't know her plot yet. We just know it's now seven years later again. And Madeline and Ernest are living together in Beverly Hills. But Madeline's acting career has gone into decline. Ernest is an alcoholic. 
but I love this moment when Madeline is waking up in her bed and she has patches underneath her eyes and this cloth around her head and she's got cotton gloves on and the maid is waking her up with food and it's all beautiful. And I remember thinking as Rose is waking her up. Of course. You're right. I remember watching that as like a kid and being like, ugh, look at this woman with all this stuff on her face going to bed. I do that now all the time. I have those things. <laughs> but I haven't I haven't got one of those chin guard straps that she has around her neck. But I want to know, does it work? Because I'll buy one. Like, I'm here for that. If it works, it works. I mean, look it up. <laughs> you just need an assistant that's going to come wake you up. I've got two dogs that come and wake me up in the morning. I'm okay. And she requests that Rose wakes her up in very specific ways. She's like, oh, I think I need to hear that today. She's like, oh, but usually you want that on Thursday. Or, oh, no, I think I need it every day. Oh, madam, you are looking younger every day. Oh, thank you, Rose. How kind of you to mention. <laughs> Wonderful. That's oh, when Madeline receives the invites to Helen Sharp's book party that evening. The clever little witch. A book party launching her new book, which is called Forever Young. Forever Young. Forever fat. <laughs> she looks over to the side of the bed and notices that Ernest's side of the bed is completely made. And she says to Rose, I find it hard to believe that he got up early and made his side of the bed. The Rose says, no, madam. So where did he sleep? And she just points upstairs. And then the camera scrolls upwards and there's Ernest laying on the floor with a, is it a train set? Yeah, something like that. Knocking against him, TV blaring. Rose comes clambering in with a Bloody Mary, puts it on the side of his face, and he wakes up. Is this an angel I see before me? Rose, you're too kind. I was talking to the drink, pulls the Bloody Mary out of her hand. Yeah, I think you were very generous when you said that he was laying on the floor. He was well and truly passed out on the floor. There's no judgment here. We've all been there. (laughs) It sets up the scene that Madeline and Ernest are not in a happy marriage. She screams at him on the hallway and then goes off to a doctor's appointment to get a facial treatment. But then the reception? No, she's not a receptionist. The beauty therapist uh, informs her that she can't have it, the one that she wanted, because she'd had it only a week or two ago and it needs to be done once every six months. It's been that long already. You had one last week. But understanding her upset, the spa owner, he gives Madeline this card with Liesl von Rumen's name on it and informs her that there's a very select group that call on this woman. She accepts callers day or night, and that's this is the place to go, apparently. The beauty therapist, did you notice as soon as the business owner, Mr. Segal, as soon as he turns up, she loses her thick French accent? She goes from, oh, but madame, you had this last week to... Oh, Mr. Seagal, I didn't see you, Mr. Seagal. Oh, I just assumed that was bad acting. Uh, (laughs) I thought it must have been bad acting for the character, maybe not for the actress. (laughs) Okay, that makes actually a lot more sense. I just just was like, oh yeah, classic B-grade movie, people forgot their accent. Yeah, Madeline (laughs) is not interested in Liesl von Krumen's business card. She just rips it up and puts it in a purse, weirdo. At the book launch, <laughs> Madeline and Ernest are standing in this crowd and looking out. Madeline's annoyed. She's whinging about Helen. She didn't even attend her own book launch. And the crowd parts and there's this frumpy woman in this brown trench coat of Madeline's like, mm, there she is, still fat. It looks like she's lost a couple of pounds and then it reveals Helen as being youthful and slender. Boom, Helen, red dress. Titties out, hair shiny, makeup on fleek, looking boss, stunning. 
Madeline starts walking towards her to do their greeting. I'll just go talk to her. You stay here to Ernest. Starts sauntering over, completely loses her nerve, turns on her heel to bail out. When Helen notices her, mad? Hell is Madeline's response with these big arms over the top. Two frenemies, if I've ever seen any. The archetype of a frenemy, I believe. This is when Helen's getting her plan in motion and she's playing Madeline against Ernest and playing Ernest against Madeline. But Madeline overhears her talking to Ernest, talking shit about Madeline. But Madeline's still feeling a bit dejected about Helen looking fabulous and her feeling old. So she goes to see her young lover. Dakota at Dakota's house. Madeline is trying to seduce him as he's entered the door without, he's shirtless, got pants on, no shirt. She's making out with him. But would you even say that he's trying to seduce, she's trying to seduce him? Like, he's just a booty call. She's just rocking up expecting to get laid. But he was busy. He was busy. You're right. And they have an argument. She she drives off in tears. Very dramatic car scene where she's driving in the pouring rain. Her windscreen's on. Her headlights have windscreen wipers for some reason. And then she looks at it, catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror. She she screeches, then slams on the brakes and is rifling through her makeup bag to find God knows what. When she stumbles back upon Lisa von Rumen's business card and decides to pay her a visit. Rocks up to Liesl von Rumen's house, completely disheveled, in a powder blue. It's a one piece with a hood, but her wet hair is all like sticking to her face in it. It looks uncomfortable. She doesn't look great. Walks into this glamorous house with these manservants wearing not a lot. And even when she's just invited in, the manservant says, yes, Miss Ashton, we were expecting you. And then invite her in, but then don't give her anywhere to sit. Like she just has to stand in the corridor for who knows how long. Give the bitch somewhere to sit down. Come on. Yes. The two manservants are sitting on this couch. Madeline just like sidles in between them, pretty much sits on them. And Liesl turns around. She's on a, not a swivel chair, just a stately chair, looks over. Give the give Madeline somewhere to sit, for Christ's sake. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. do know this. Make some room for my friend, for Christ's sake. But keep your ass handy. What a line. Madeline and Liesl start having a conversation about the cruelty of youth, how it fades too quickly. Madeline says, the natural order, but Liesl does not like this line. She gets quite offended by the natural order. Oh, screw the natural law, she says. Liesl goes over and she gets an ancient looking box, opens it, and inside that is another ancient looking box, opens that and is an egg. An egg that then balances and opens to reveal a touch of magic, a tonic, a potion. She asks how old Madeline thinks Liesl is. 38. The nerve. <laughs> oh, Madeline. Oh, uh, 21, 20, 23, 21. I am 71 years old, Liesl tells her. That's what it does. It uh, stops the aging process and forces it into retreat. She shows her first. She takes Madeline's hand and gets this huge over-the-top knife from the bottom of her red shawl skirt, pulls it out, stabs Madeline in the finger. Ow! <laughs> like a psycho, <laughs> with no warning, just stabs her. Full eye contact as well. She could have stabbed anywhere on that hand. Dips it into the potion, which then is glowing this beautiful uh, magenta colour. The end of the knife is glowing. She dips it onto Madeline's hand. And then, I've always loved this moment, there's these like liver spots and wrinkles on her hand, and they all just 
disappear and her fingernails look healthier and shinier. And she's like, oh, girl, this hand, it's beautiful. How much is it? She says to Liesl. And Liesl writes an arbitrary number on a bit of paper and shows it. Madeline looks at the hand. Is check okay? <laughs> writes her a check, hands it to Liesl. Liesl gives her the potion. Madeline bottoms up, skulls the potion. Puts a hand to her chest very delicately. It's like, oh, yeah, this was good. And Liesl says the best lines. Go. <laughs> I know you want to. I was going to say, this is my favorite line. She says, now a warning. To which Madeline responds, now a warning? Now a warning. Now a warning? <laughs> Liesl tells her that your body and you will be together for a long time. So you need to take care of it or words to that effect. Yep. Liesl is wearing this necklace shirt. Pulls a little pin. I don't know how she found it in the scope of all the beads that are on the shirt. Pulls a little pin out, pins it to Madeline's powder blue one piece and sends her on her way. She tells Madeline, she warns her that she's got 10 years, 10 years of unchanged beauty that she can use. And then after that, she has to retire. She has to disappear from public view, stage a suicide, just going to be a recluse. But yeah, she has to disappear. While all this has been going on, we've seen that Helen has rocked up to try to seduce Ernest. And Ernest has been going along with it. Like, he's been getting some pashes, they're making out on the couch, they're going all at it. But Helen's plan is that he wants to set up Ernest to murder Madeline. So their plan is they're going to have a dinner. They set up this decadent dinner with wow, wine glasses galore, and they lace one, <laughs> one type of each of the glasses with this heavy sedative, only a few drops is needed. They set them all up, and so it doesn't matter which glass Madeline takes a drink out of when they have a toast to her beauty and her career, that she's going to fall fast asleep. Then they put her in the car, cover it in booze so it looks like she was drunk driving, take her to the top of, I'm going to say, Dead Man's Cliff. I can't remember if that's what it's called, but that's what they're always called in movies. Take her in there, wedge her foot on the accelerator, and send her to her glory. <laughs> it's such a great plan. By the time the autopsy's done, all the Narconol will have dissolved from her system. It'll just seem like she was just another drunk driver. <laughs> she's really thought this through, Helen. She's come through with the goods. She had a while. She's, had, she's planned this. So with that plan set, we cut back to see Madeline when she's leaving uh, Liesl van Rumen's house. She goes to look at herself in the mirror and she's a bit down because she looks the same. But then we see her body change in the mirrors. With that music. And she starts becoming younger. She, her ass, her boobs pop up one at a time. And they become perky. They're beautiful. Ah, oh, she looks so good. I love it. Her hair comes shiny and healthy. The wrinkles dissuade from her skin. She's loving, living her best life. Goes out into the car. She goes home thinking, I have got this in the bag. Gets to her house, changes outfit into a fabulous, it's a black one piece with a purple nonsense shawl wrapped around. Mm. Wonderful. And she's going <laughs> A out. shawl that wouldn't do anything. That shawl would not even protect you from a mosquito bite. It was crepe paper, which she draped around her body. It was raining. It must be cold. I don't know. The whims of youth. So she's going out because she's going to go out dancing now and score herself a hot young man. And Ernest comes in and sees her looking great. And they have a little bit of an argument. Because of Helen, like he'd already got this idea in his mind that he wanted to leave Madeline. So he's mad at her. 
provokes an argument out of her, really. She just wants to go out and get some dick. She's not interested in an argument with him. He accuses her of taking his money. She accuses him of taking her money. And then he calls her cheap, and that really sets her off. She calls him flaccid. Flaccid! Repetitively. She calls him that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Flaccid old washed-up surgeon. Undertaker. He's an undertaker now. He grabs her by uh, by the throat, holds her over, like, and mm-hmm. like is going to shove her down the stairs, and realizes, oh, he doesn't want to do this, and she's hanging by the heels of her shoes on the top stairs. She's teetering backwards and forwards with her arms outstretched. Help me, Ernest! Help me! He has a very nearly change of heart, going to grab her, save her life, not kill her, and she calls him. Well, hurry up, you wimp! And so he just taps her right in the middle of the boobs, square in the middle of her boobs, and pushes her down the stairs. A long-ass staircase, too. Like, she tumbles down, you hear a neck break. She's tumbling for about, I don't know, 15 minutes? At least. If it wasn't 15, it was 20 minutes. <laughs> Stroke a genius. And realising what he's done, races down the stairs, picks up the phone, and immediately calls Helen. But Helen is pissed at him. She, why did she choose such a bozo to be her accomplice? Idiot. She's mad. He's ruined her well-thought-out plan. Seven years well-thought-out plan, and he's just tossed it down the stairs. On the phone, Helen's going off. Are they going to be able to tell the time of death when it looks suspicious if you've called me after she's died? Ernest is like, nah, man, it's all groovy. Time of death is not an exact science. Helen, quick thinking, we'll just say... You were on the phone to me when you heard her fall down the stairs. Then call 911 after you get off the phone to me. Everything's sorted. During this phone call, unbeknownst to Ernest, Madeline is standing up in the background. <laughs> Madeline starts walking towards him with her head on backwards. Ernest. Ernest. He's still on the phone to Helen, jabbering away. He looks over at Caesar. You pushed me down the stairs. Every <laughs> single vowel in that word is pronounced. She's even added a few in. Stares. <laughs> and a screams. Hangs up the phone. Mad lad. Break it out. Fair juice. Her head is backwards. He thought she was dead. She hasn't realised that her head's on backwards, though. He just keeps screaming, stay away from me. Get away from me. Stay away from me. She's like, why would I come near you? You pushed me down the fucking stairs. <laughs> Wife pusher. And he finally tells her to look down. And she goes, Ernest, I can see my ass. Ernest, I could see my ass. <laughs> she tries sit to compose herself, falls over, looks in the mirror, screaming at Ernest to like help her, and he ain't having a bar. He's not touching her. Twists her own head back around the right way, and this bone's not sticking through the skin, but you can see it like pushing up against the skin. It's real gross. And he's like, I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> Understatement. They rush to the hospital. Ernest is driving. There's a huge scene. He runs up the back of an ambulance at the front of the hospital. They rush in. She's at death's door. Doctor comes in. Jewish doctor. Mad chill. This doctor He's seen a bit. is the chillest person that I've ever seen in my life. He's working in an emergency department and he is so chill. Nothing seems to phase him. Not a thing. Starts checking over Madeline. Pretty much breaks her wrist trying to like check that out. <laughs> She's like, no, nah, it doesn't hurt, man. He's like, oh, okay. Weird. Pulls back the thing she has wrapped around her neck that's hiding all these broken bones. He sees it. Then he loses his cool. Yeah, he has a good scream at that moment, doesn't he? Like a Fonzie scream. Has a scream. Looks at that. Gets out the stethoscope. Realizes that she doesn't have a heartbeat. 
takes a swig of Ernest's hip flask and proceeds to tell Madeline she's dead. He checked her blood temperature very quickly. Well, yeah, that checks out. Zero. Yeah. Is that your body temperature is below 80. You have no heartbeat. Your wrist is broken. Your neck's fractured. You're dead. The doctor rushes out. And then she faints. He rushes out to find a second opinion. And in this hospital, Ernest is rushing around, cannot find another doctor to help him. And he sees a scene where there's a million doctors surrounding one person and realizes it was the doctor that was just treating him has now had a heart attack. Ernest then realizes, oh, actually, I used to be a doctor. You're right. He's a bit of a dolt. I'll check her out myself. <laughs> Goes back into the room to be like, I'll examine you, Madeline. The body, gone. She's not there. And the nurse is in the room. Where is she? Ursus are very calm about the situation. You know, it's really sad. It's always heartbreaking when these things happen. Da-da-da-da-da. She's in the morgue. Ernest, the morgue? She's going to be furious. It's just quotable, this movie. Whoever wrote that yes. script, gold. All the Oscars. Give them everything. Ernest heads down to the morgue, finds Madeline, pulls her out. She's like, why am I in the morgue? And he's like, you're dead. Ernest says to Madeline, you're in violation of every natural law. And then she starts to put two and two together. You know, we'll, we'll get you home. It'll be fine. Takes her home. After this, you know, really horrific moment they've had they've like come together they're a little bit happier they're a bit friendlier they're treating each other kind of well they go home helen is following ernest at this point because she's confused about what's happened on the phone call she sees ernest go home sees something happen and then ernest rushes back out goes to the hardware store and buys a bunch of chemicals formaldehyde she doesn't see what else Follows Ernest back to the house again. He rushes back in. And she's like, what on earth is going on? Meanwhile, Ernest is upstairs painting Madeline's skin because she's been in the freezer. Helen breaks into the house when Ernest goes back downstairs. And she's got like a tarp. She's got a shovel. She's dressed up to the nines in all black. Like her face is covered, dark sunglasses. Ernest, what is going on? Ernest tries to explain to Helen that Madeline's upstairs, but she's not having a bar of it because she fell down the stairs and broke her neck. So obviously Madeline's dead. Madeline wakes up and she's sort of overhearing their conversation where Helen is saying, oh, we were going to bury her. We need to go bury her here. She's dead. Ernest, our plans come true. We've killed her. Madeline's mighty pissed off by this. No, I was going to say, and Helen calls her a bad actress. That really got her goat. (laughs) And Helen says, well, if Madeline's alive, tell her to come downstairs and kiss me on my... Kiss you on the what? (laughs) And they have this standoff where the scene is really tense. Madeline sort of walks out of frame. Ernest follows her, saying that she's mad, telling Helen to leave. Helen's not listening, sort of just like in shock. And then Madeline appears next to Helen and says to her, you know, I've just got one thing to say to you. You brought this on yourself and then shoots her in the stomach. Barrel shotgun. Huge. Like ostentatiously huge gun. Helen goes flying in her red <laughs> gown into a fountain, which they just have, lands in that, water's flying everywhere. Madeline, not cocks, uncocks, I don't know the word for guns, over her shoulder, fabulous, and starts strutting. Ernest going off his head. You've killed her. What are you thinking? Da 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 da. And she's like, I've killed her. We're going to have to bury her together get rid of the body he's like i'm not helping and she's like well you've already killed me ain't nobody can play dead like me 
She's not going to go to prison. Mm -hmm. uh, she says to him, do you know what they do to fat, balding Republicans in prison, Ernest? And I knew he was a Republican. As soon as this movie started, I was like, ugh, he's a Trump supporter. And a coward. Immediately, I'll get the shovels. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see that the pool is like filled with blood. And as Madeline's sort of fussing around, not really bothered by anything, she's, like, she's the happiest that we've ever seen her in this movie. She's like unrolling, and looking at Helen's jacket and Ernest freaks out. Are you going to help? And she's like, Oh, yes, I'm happy to help. I'm so happy to help. <laughs> oh, she's so handy. She even brought her own hardware. As they're getting the tarp ready to pull out the body, they've got their backs to the fountain. Next minute, Helen just stands up and this water just gushing out of this hole in her stomach. Good word for that, gushing. It is gushing. Her eyes are pure white now. Looks at them and says, that was completely uncalled for. <laughs> Ernest has another moment. It's another miracle! Because Helen stands up and she says, Look at me, Ernest. Look at me. I'm completely wet. And Ernest is like, Yeah. And there's something wrong with your blouse. And she looks down and she goes, oh, I have a hole in my stomach. I have a hole in my stomach. Madeline and goes searching. She goes searching on Helen and finds the little pin. Yeah, she finds the brooch on her. You took the potion. Helen's like, how do you know about that? Wait. Searches around on Madeline, finds hers. You took the potion. Well, when did you take it? Long before you. It's a great argument. I love that. Who did it first? No one wants to be the follower. The only thing I would say is poor Madeline. She only just took that potion tonight. She hasn't even had time to enjoy herself and she's already been pushed down the stairs. <laughs> Helen's had it since 1985, the same year as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. It's an Easter egg. It's the same same person who directed Death Becomes Her directed Back to the Future. Oh, well, I'm glad that his career went up from that train wreck of a movie, Back to the Future, to something good like Death Becomes Her. A decent, wholesome, family-friendly movie. <laughs> Madeline and Helen start really having a blue. They pick up the shovels, hitting each other, they're dueling. Ernest is trying to stop it. We should negotiate. And then just steps aside and let them have it out. They have a lot of issues to work through. That can only be dealt with by smacking each other with shovels. Yeah. And it all comes to a head and it, they discover... Uh, I get it, a head. <laughs> because Helen smacks Madeline over the head twice with a shovel, once knocking her head backwards. And when she fixes that, knocks it into her shoulders. I will not speak to you until you put your head on straight. So they sit on the couches and they have their moment discovered that Madeline did steal all of Helen's boyfriends on purpose, but because Helen was referring to Madeline as cheap between all of her snobby rich friends. Which I feel Which is, is a bit of an overreaction on Madeline's part. Like, it's just a word, love. Relax. Oh, I don't know. I understand. Like, being left out of the social group because you don't have as much money as someone else. That's a bit rude. And she can't help it if she's pretty. That's true. Okay, I can see both sides now. Maybe she did deserve a hole in the stomach, Helen. And maybe uh, Madeline deserved having her head smushed into it. <laughs> so they have their moment. It's all very cathartic. And they go upstairs to find Ernie and let him know that, you know, it's all worked out now. And they're friends and it's all groovy. And they find Ernie packing because he's bailing. I just love them appearing at the door and it's just the shadows. And you can see the hole in Helen's stomach in the shadow. And then they're instantly like best friends. They had one simple argument, one shovel fight. And now they're like, Oh, it was so awful hating you and envying you at the same time. They're just purely back to me. Well, I mean, 
are they friends or are they still frenemies? I don't know. Still frenemies. And they explained to Ernie, oh, because Ernest had done such a good job of touching Madeline up to begin with. Madeline's like, you're going to have to use those amazing skills again on my friend Helen. Like, she's got a hole in her stomach. <laughs> and Ernie's like, okay, this one time and then I'm done. I am out. I'm not dealing with this again. And he uses his fabulous skills, all his spray paint, makes Helen look gorgeous. The hole in her stomach's gone. She's in like a little one piece. Madeline's eyes are beautiful. They look great. But then they realize together, what's going to happen if something goes wrong? Do we get a chip or a flake? If it rains? I mean, get spray paint. It should be kind of waterproof. But anyway, those ladies, whatever. They convince each other that they need to get Ernest to take the potion. It's the only option that they have because they need him around now forever, really. But they try to talk him into coming with them. Not even. They didn't even try to talk him into it, do they? They just go straight for, we have to drug him. I mean, it's the logical next step. We have to drug him. So they make him a drink laced with, I don't know, half a dozen pills. He decides that he's going to quit drinking, so he tips it out. So they just smash him over the head. With phases. He wakes up in Liesel's house by the pool. He's drugged, confused. He's in a tux. Liesel's swimming in the water, looking wonderful, with his big long scarf on. I just need that to be mentioned. Gets out of the pool, scarf, nothing else on. I'm sorry, you are underdressed. And he's confused. Wow, underdress for what? She's like, I throw a party every spring for my, my clients. You needed to be wearing something a bit more formal. She walks over to him, puts on this fabulous hood gown. What do you call it oh, a gown? Yeah. <laughs> a hooded <It's> just... <laughs> garment. <laughs> yeah, and all it is is a hood and a little bit of material that just covers the nips. Let's be honest. There were a few questionable fashion choices. Like it works, but they would be questionable outfits. <laughs> She's lucky that she only ever deals in spring because that would not fly in winter. Mm-mm, definitely not. <laughs> Liesel then starts to convince Ernest to take the potion. He can become a surgeon again. He'll have his youth. Ernie's nearly convinced. He's got the potion. He's looking at it. She's going to give it to him for free by the looks of it, probably to use his repair skills for everyone else who's having body problems. He's going to drink it. She's going on and on and on, getting more and more dramatic. And I think this is where she loses him. (laughs) She starts screaming. You will live forever. And then Ernest has that moment of realization when he's like, is this how I want to live my life? What do you mean? Live forever? That sounds horrible. Who am I going to hang out with? Madeline and Helen? Goals. Ernest rushes off and escapes into the party, having not taken the potion. He tries to escape up onto the roof for some reason, instead of like down the stairs. It ends up on the roof when Madeline and Helen, who had seen him in the party, had followed him up there and surprised him, which causes him to almost fall off the roof. He's hanging on to the roof fire, like drain pipe that's caught in the back of his britches. It's called britches. I'm bringing back the 1960s version of the word, okay? Okay, I'm in. He's still got the potion with him and decides instead of taking it, he drops the potion and falls down however many stories. Crashes through Michelangelo's a glass panel into a pool, then gets up from there, exits the party, steals somebody's car, I assume, and then that's the last we see of him. Madeline and Helen, well, they're still trying to find Ernest. So they rush back home and he's not there. They have a little bickering argument as they always like to have. Oh, I said we should have gone to the airport. You never said that. Well, I thought it. And they realize they're going to be stuck together, painting each other's asses, fixing each other's cracks forever. (laughs) I mean, the eternity that both of them obviously wanted and deserved. They both got their comeuppance. This is their The Bad Place. (laughs) Yes. 
Flashes forward now, 37 years later, and it's Ernest's funeral. There's pictures of him everywhere, the guy standing up saying the eulogy, talking about how Ernest's life really started once he was 50. He met his wife. He had two sons and four daughters. At 50? Sir. That's a lot. Also, that's not fair on the kids. Those kids grew up when they were teenagers. He would have been like in his mid-60s. He would have been an old fuddy-duddy. That's not fair. Let's be real. He was a fuddy-duddy at the beginning of this movie. I doubt that he high-tiled it out of LA and then suddenly become a fun-loving person. No. They say his hobbies are mountaineering and helping (laughs) underprivileged people. Boring. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Stop that. No one's interested in this. So Madeline and Helen, they're sitting in the back, back row of this huge church, and they start giggling about something in the funeral pamphlet. They start laughing uncontrollably, and they get up to leave when the funeral director says, and Ernest discovered the secret of eternal youth, and it lives here with his children and his grandchildren. And honestly, Madeline and I had the same reaction. Blah, 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 blah. They walk out of the funeral, still snipping at each other. Uh, They were leaving the funeral because Helen's face was all peeling and she needed the Day Glow 7 spray can. And Madeline has lost it. Madeline's got the poops because why does she always have to carry the the spray paint? Helen gets to have like a small, cute little handbag and Madeline's got to carry around a big handbag to carry all (laughs) of the spray paint. (laughs) Uh, walking towards these stairs. What? Well, walking is a generous <laughs> assessment of what they're doing. They are staggering at best. They look like if you were waxing and then didn't remove the wax and then had to walk somewhere. <laughs> it's all toddler trying to run, like no knees. They don't bend their knees. <laughs> they obviously Decompose. have not been taking care of their bodies. Their faces, when they remove those veils, are like crusted and a little bit of spray paint is not going to fix that mess. I always thought about this. You think since they've been doing this spray paint for 37 years, their skills would have improved? Not the case. (laughs) Eyeliner is all over the shop. Their eyebrows have gotten really skinny. Like we're talking height of the 90s, skinny over. (laughs) It's crusty as well. Did they ever remove a layer of paint? It's just like been painted over and over again. Keep layering it on. More, more, more. This will fix it. It has not fixed it. They're at the stairs, and what we can see as the audience is the can of spray paint has obviously fallen out of Madeline's handbag and is sitting just on the on the second step. But the girls bickering away can't see it. And then it's Madeline, isn't it, who steps onto it? Helen steps onto it. So Helen steps onto the spray can, starts teetering over the edge. Help me, help me. And Madeline has this evil look on her face and she's about to like tap her on the chest to push her over as what happened to her when Helen just grabs her arm and rips her down the stairs. Madeline makes the best noise at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Go flying down the stairs and just shatter into a million pieces all on the ground. Their heads are rocking. They rock towards each other. You can just see, I'm not even sure whose hand it is, probably Madeline's. You can just see her hand like tapping impatiently as Helen's head spins closer to her. Do you remember where you parked the car? (laughs) End of movie. Ah, love that. It was a very jokey movie. But it didn't ever feel overdone. It never got to the point where you're like, I'm over it. It just gets funnier each time. 
at an hour and a half long, or however long this movie is, it was the right amount of length. Like it didn't drag on at many points. It was short, sweet, lots of stuff happened, not many characters, and then it was all over. Actually, I could have done with more. I could have had another hour of them. Yes, I, I could do a sequel if it was just them. I don't think there's anywhere else for the story to go, but yeah, just watching them bicker for the 37 missing years that we didn't get, sure. Oh, yes. What have they been up to? We don't know. To this day, we still don't know. Did you know there was an alternative ending? No, I did not. In the original ending, Ernest actually had a girlfriend who was this bartender. So him and the bartender, she helps him fake his death to get away from Madeline and Helen. And they go off together and Helen and Madeline see them 30 odd years in the future together, like at his funeral. And Helen's really still upset. She's like, no, I still didn't even get him back. But it tested poorly because it was too much of a happy ending for Ernest. And they were like, nah, don't like that. I want the girls to win. Oh, yeah, I agree with that test audience. That would have been a terrible ending. Who cares about Ernest? Why does he have a girlfriend? Why did he get a girlfriend? I believe Madeline having like a younger toy boy. Sure. But Ernest, what did he have going on? He was a drunk. He couldn't turn up for work. He was an undertaker. Also, how would he have a girlfriend? He was flaccid, as Madeline pointed out (laughs) multiple times. Pointed out loudly many times. (laughs) Flaccid. (laughs) Who's who's your rose pick for this movie? Or do you want to do your thorn pick first? Oh, there's not a lot of characters in this movie, really, is there? I don't know. Maybe you go first and then I'll think about it. Well, I'm going to do this one a bit different. I'm going to do it as my favourite outfits. Okay. Well, a lot went into the costumes of this. So I have two favourite outfits. I have to give an honourable mention to that purple nonsense shawl that Madeline wears over the black one piece. I really love that. I've, I've wanted to buy one forever, but they're really expensive and I just don't know if I'll do it justice. But my favourite, my rose, goes to Liesl's necklace shirt that you first (laughs) see her wearing. The lady went, I want a red scarf as a skirt, floor length, please and thank you. And I want to wear 17 necklaces and call it a shirt. Done. I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. I really hope that woman has not got her nipples pierced because otherwise that would have been the worst pain. (laughs) Even through all those necklaces, she still managed to find the pins to put on that she needed. So it serves a purpose. It's 17 it. necklaces, and it's also like a, a little hanger for pins. Nonsense. Favorite. Okay. And so is your thorn going to be your least favorite outfit? Yes. And I was trying to think if I had a character I really didn't like. But they're all pretty great, to be honest. So my least favorite outfit is going to be Tom, Dick, and Harry's, where they are just wearing a bow tie, cummerbund, and black pants. Are these the dancers in the opening number? No, but yeah, also. Oh, no, no right. Yeah, the man slaves, the himbos. Oh. Yep, they just they have no shirt on. They just got a bow tie, a cummerbund, and just plain black pants. And I think more could have been done with that outfit. Where was the color? Where was the vivaciousness? I just think it was a bit of a letdown. <laughs> it didn't scream man slave at me loudly enough. I wanted it to scream man slave so loud that the neighbors would hear. What neighbors? We've lived in LA for seven years. We've never had any neighbors. <laughs> Okay, go. Your rose and thorn. Okay, so I'm going to say the rose of the movie would have to be Madeline. Without that, there would have been no movie. She is the center of attention of everything. Meryl Streep, she's a queen. Give her more Oscars. Yes, give her an Oscar for this movie. And then the thorn. I mean, there's not really any other characters. 
I didn't mind the doctor that was like too relaxed. I loved the beauty therapist that suddenly lost her French accent. Mr. Seagal, I didn't really care about. Like he was only in it for 30 seconds anyway. Rose, what about Rose? She suddenly disappeared by the end of the movie. Where'd she go? What is she up to? Where's her life? I think, yeah, I'll just go with Rose because she disappeared at the end. (laughs) She just gave up. Maybe she quit off screen. Maybe it was her day off when all of this drama unfolded. Because it seems like a lot of it happened within the space of 12 hours. That's true. It started with seven years, seven years, seven years, and then 12 hours, and then 37 years later. It was a busy day in their life, that one day. That one day. A lot happened, to be fair, in the space of one thunderstorm. (laughs) But yeah, that was a great movie. Go check it out, anybody that hasn't. And I would be very surprised if people haven't. It is right up there. Fabulous. So what do you want to do next week? Well, I heard a rumor that they're doing maybe a remake or a reboot of The Craft. I have seen pictures of that. Have you? Yes. Is it, uh, wasn't it a Netflix series? Oh, no, I'm thinking of Charmed. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. So before Charmed, there was the movie The Craft. But I feel like Charmed stole a lot of ideas from that movie. Yes. Even the theme song (laughs) they stole and gave to Charmed. It's due for a rewatch. Oh, that is. Oh, that has tickled all of my teenage years. That is nostalgia. I am ready. Okay, the craft. I really hope that that line is not on your Tinder profile. Tickle all of my teenage years. (laughs) It wasn't before, but it will be now. (laughs) So the craft. Great. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our in-depth looks at Death Becomes Her. Oh, we should give our Instagrams as well if people want to follow along. Maybe we should make an Instagram for this podcast first. Okay, sure. (laughs) Stay tuned for our Instagram. (laughs) It's coming soon. Coming soon. Social media. We're very with it. All right. So good night, Maddie. Thanks for this. This is fun. This has been a good time. Good night, Pumpkin. Good night, Chris. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ciao. Ciao. What do I see? That's the question I'm most afraid of One that asks me what I'm really made of What do I see Much more than a reflection Romance with sheer I see me, I see me, actress, woman, star, and lover, sister, sweetheart, slave, and mother. I see me, and I like what I see.